welcome back to the Turning 30 podcast, a place where we talk about what it's really like to turn 30. I'm your host, life coach Emma Wilson, and I'm here to help you feel better, get unstuck, and be more confident in your 30s. Before we get started with this week's guest episode, I'm going to do something which I never usually do because every time I start an episode, I always presume that I'm talking to my existing community and my loyal followers and podcast listeners who I know tune into the episodes week in week out that I release them and the other day I received a really nice message to my Instagram from somebody saying that they'd stumbled across my podcast and they'd listened to it into the night because it was so relevant for them and they really loved all of the topics and it made me think that so many of you could just stumble upon this episode and not really know much about me and who I am and what we do over here in the Turning 30 community. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. So I'm Emma and I'm the Turning 30 coach and what that means is I'm primarily helping women who are in their late 20s or in their 30s already and they're feeling a little bit left behind, feeling like everyone else is on the right path, right in uh, quotation marks and that maybe they're not where they want to be in their career or their businesses or relationships, friendships, or even just health and mental health. And based on my own personal turning 30 journey, which I've spoken about in many podcast episodes before, I really understood that this birthday can be such a huge trigger for anybody who is feeling left behind and often at this age what we start to do is compare ourselves to everybody around us and it can be honestly the most paralyzing and lonely experience turning 30 and feeling like everyone else is doing life right and you are doing life wrong and from there the turning 30 podcast and my turning 30 business was born. So if you're new to this community then welcome because it's a really safe space to talk about all the relevant 30 topics and if you're not new to this community then welcome back and I'm so happy to have all of you here. I feel like it was such a dream of mine to create a community where people felt like they could come and speak to others and be in a space where we sometimes even talk about taboo topics and things that you don't often hear such as female fertility in your 30s, such as solo dates and travel, things like being single in your 30s and owning that and not feeling scared or left behind if we haven't had children by the age of 35 and all of these topics that I bring to you in the podcast and also on my Instagram. So if you're just discovering the podcast for the first time or you haven't yet checked out my Instagram, I really encourage you to go over there. That's where I mostly hang out and mostly in my stories and you can really come and get to know me and all of the topics and turning 30 content so that's at turning 30 coach and the 30 is the numbers 30 so come over there pop me a dm to say hello and I look forward to meeting those of you who are just discovering my instagram for the first time well as hosting this podcast and running my instagram account I'm also a life coach and I help clients Uh, to reach their goals, to make big changes. We work a lot on mindset and also practical things. And I currently have some one-on-one spots open for December. I have around two spots left before the end of 2022. And then I'm also uh, filling up spots now for 2023. So 
if you are called to make some really big changes and you really want to start the year off on a completely different foot and a completely new and inspired energy, I encourage you to reach out to me and to book a 60-minute consultation call. I run free initial consultations where we get the chance to meet and I will hear about what you currently want to work on and we'll see if it's a good fit. These spots usually get snapped up really quickly so if this is something you're interested in then please do book in the call. There's a link in the podcast brief and also you can head over to Instagram and get the details over there. I really want to work with as many 30-somethings as possible. I'm running this community now for the past four years and it has just blossomed. We're about to reach 70,000 podcast downloads. It will probably be by the end of this year. I appreciate all of the help I can get. So if you like this episode or any of the other episodes and you want to share it and help me with my mission to get into as many ears as possible, I really appreciate you sending this to your friends, sharing it on social media. And if you feel inclined, I would love if you could give me a review and a rating and you can subscribe to the podcast so that you'll be the first to know when the new episodes are up. On that note, I'm going to introduce this week's guest. For the past couple of months on the podcast, I've been really focusing on careers and business, specifically helping people leave the nine to five. And this week, we're flipping back to another topic that is so, so interesting. And we're going to be talking more about relationships. So this is a little bit different from the past few episodes, but a really welcome change. And attachment style and attachment is a huge buzzword at the moment in the world on Instagram with my friends. For me, when I first discovered attachment and learned about it and how it affects relationships and how it affects dating, I was really blown away because so many things, so many behavioral things that I have been struggling with in my past relationships and in dating became so clear to me. So some of you may have already explored your attachment style and some of you may already know a lot about this, but for those of you that don't and for those of you that do, this episode is so educational and a really amazing first introduction into attachment styles. So I'm really excited to announce this week's guest, Carly Ann. Carly Ann is a holistic attachment coach and she uses the six pillars, which are known as the secure pillars, to support people to interrupt and reshape their attachment style so that they can experience more confidence, hope and trust in themselves and others and their ability to self-soothe in relationships. Carly Ann is on a mission to put an end to people feeling crazy too much or needy by giving the inside scoop on why love can make you feel this way. Hi Carly-Anne and welcome to the Turning 30 podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited to have a conversation on one of my favorite things to discuss and one of my favorite topics to discuss not being recorded, which is relationships and relationship patterns. So uh, I would love to hear a little bit about what it is you actually do. Yeah, so one of my favorite topics as well. So I work with people who, if I was to put it really simply, who struggle with relationships and dating. And 
you know, we all face uncertainty and some anxiety when it comes to dating and relationships and conflict. But with this, we're kind of talking about like real, real pain and struggles and repetitive patterns. So as I'm sure we're going to talk about, I do particularly work around attachment styles and insecure attachment. So I won't go into that because I'm sure we will. But yeah, people who identify with or see patterns of insecure attachment patterns and how they are showing up that's who I work with basically amazing and you're you call yourself a life coach so you do you work one-on-one with people and what else do you do yeah so a combination so I work primarily one-to-one with people I call myself a holistic attachment coach because again you know giving all the teasers as I'm sure we'll talk about it's such a broad range of modalities and teachings and treatments when it comes to healing attachment wounds and relationship difficulties but I also have a membership as well so I have always been in all the work that I've done which I've been helping people for like over 10 years I've always delivered groups in some form and so I do have a membership as well and some courses I don't have a course right now but I really like really believe in the power of community and knowing you're not alone especially for this topic because when you're in it and even when you're trying to heal it can just feel like this doesn't work for me and when you hear other people and you realize okay it does work and this is part of the healing and the pattern I just think it's really powerful so one-to-one work because we need that support that's really known within attachments but the community just because I mean it's so powerful isn't it yeah I really loved that description that you just gave about working with groups and working with multiple people and letting them be exposed to others I think it's really true it's also why I have really been focusing on groups in the past couple of years trying to show people that like you said you're not alone and I think that sometimes when you get into that place of really feeling like you're the only person in the world who suffers from something or you're the only person in the world who feels like this or nobody else could possibly ever understand what is going on and then you are confronted with an example of somebody else who often is going through exactly the same thing or something really similar it can it can definitely feel so refreshing to know that there are other people there and I think you learn a lot in group coaching just by hearing other people's perspectives on the same topic And it really can just open your eyes to so many different things. Yeah. And I think that can be obviously depending on the severity, but that can be healing enough. You know, I worked in mental health basically my whole career. And just sometimes that assessment, that initial meeting someone, when you start to explain back to them, perhaps the pattern or how we work with this and they realize, this is not just me. And actually the work that you do is such a good example of that. I can't tell you how many people I've had assessments with that are early twenties and they don't know where they're going next. And it's, and you, yeah, you just really want to take them and be like, I promise you what you're experiencing. I speak to someone every day that also is experiencing this. And that can just, and a bit, of course you can't make people see that, which is why the group, is so powerful because then when you hear it from someone who's actually in that position it's much more believable yeah 100 percent. you mentioned that you've always worked in mental health and you've been working in this field for for 10 years could you tell a little bit about your journey to get to where you are today and your experience i know you also had quite a powerful journey of turning 30 so i'd love to hear a little bit about it 
Yeah. So, yes, I worked in substance misuse and mental health, basically from when I finished uni, really, all the way through my 20s. So I'm I'm 34 now, about to turn 35, um, until I was, (laughs) (laughs) until I, um, yeah, until like literally last year, basically. So, yes, what I was working with varied a bit. But as you probably know, a lot of the patterns you see were really, really similar. Um, whether that was to do with like self-esteem at the core of it or inner critic, all of those like very similar patterns. But for me personally, I was just on autopilot all the way through my 30s, like particularly looking at what I do now, it's like dating and relationships. I was just in it like a relationship full of like a cycle of drama, chasing people when I was dating. I didn't really see the patterns. And then it was, it was a, breakup that I went through at 29 and honestly this is why I relate so much to your podcast because this moment in my career in my life in my relationships it feels like so so significant because and I always tell the story of how with my partner that I was with, I think we were together from about 24, 25 till I was 29. And I got into that relationship because I thought, oh God, I'm getting so much older. I've got to be in a relationship now, which you can imagine I look back now, I'm like, wow, <laughs> um, only I could see. But at 29, reaching 30, and I guess getting a sense that this relationship wasn't it. I just said to him, if you are going to break up with me, you better do it before I'm 30. So that was obviously on my mind. It's a whole other issue that I didn't just do it myself. That comes out of that fear of being alone, turning 30, my anxious attachment that was going on, which I couldn't see at that point. But I said that and I remember saying it and he came home a few weeks later, one Monday evening in July and ended it around three and a half months before my 30th birthday. And honestly, it was just, I didn't know it, but it was just the best thing that ever, ever happened. I would not have gone on to follow my dreams because the way that I saw it is that relationship, I did have a niggle, that this isn't right for me. And I really see that now through basically saying, can you break up with me before 30? (laughs) And so when that happened, after the initial shock that's to be expected, I then started to think, so what else am I not listening to? Like, what else has that niggle been saying to me? And I've been saying the career that I'm in, I want to do that myself. I want to go and help people in the way that lights me up at using modalities and practices that I can use and combine together. So I started to follow that. And then at the same time, I was really, I started to, everything started to unravel and I saw my own attachment difficulties, started my own healing journey with that. And through no surprise, you know, almost five years later, I'm now supporting other people that are on that journey as well. Um, so I don't know if that answers the question. But... Yeah, it answers the question, both of the questions, which I asked you two questions in one saying, what's your background? And also, how is it related to turning 30? And it is intrinsically related. And I think that's so interesting how it happened just before your 30th birthday. Do you remember feeling panicked at that point because of your age or were you already past that by the time it happened? I think I must have been because I said that, but it's not the panic that I remember. The panic I remember was being single, was being on my own. But the fact that I said that makes me think, okay, there must have been something in it or I must have known, okay, it's going to give me this more time. You know, I need to get started quicker because I'm going to be 30. But I don't feel like that lasted too long because I just very quickly saw like my life change dramatically for the better. 
And so I remember the Valentine's Day when I would have been 30, the next one. And I remember waking up thinking, oh God, this is going to be like a hard one. It's like my first Valentine's Day in a long time. I'm single, I'm 30. And I just remember this inner knowing of like, this is supposed to be how it is. Like you're supposed to be single today. I've always said I'm supposed to be single. Like when I was 30, I just knew that. And, you know, I was speaking to my friend this week because she's um, the same age. And we've been single like really, yeah, through our thirties. And we we just see it as like, it's crazy to think of what we've learned that we probably wouldn't have learned if we weren't single. Like it's a bit scary to think of that, like what I wouldn't have learned. I always think that. And that's not to say, you know, there are some people here who meet their life partner, obviously at very young age. And it's not to discount that and say that, you know, it's not to judge anybody who has a different life path than, than me and you have which by the way is obviously very similar and paralleled with the whole breakup and going self-employed kind of one after the other in our 30s. And it's not to discount other people's journeys, but it is to say that is that piece of acceptance and gratitude there for the privilege of being able to be this age, old enough to really work on yourself in a really conscious and active way and say like, this is actually what's meant to happen. And I think there's sometimes that's met with some resistance. I can say from my side anyway, that it feels like, oh no, like another lesson. And I don't know if you ever have that when I'm like, I don't know, I go through something in my love life and I'm like, for God's sake, I've got to have another, another lesson and the lessons are still coming. But for me anyway, it's been such the first half of my thirties. I'm so grateful that I got to experience some of it single. It's really Mm -hmm. so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and well, actually, we were just talking about it just before, but my podcast is called Lessons in Love, so that I definitely resonate with that. I have a really close friend actually who has also very like me, like really relates to having an anxious attachment. She's been with her partner most of their adult life, and she's done an incredible healing journey, like the same as me. It's just very different paths. So I love that you yeah, highlight that you don't have to be single to get there. But me personally, I can see why this was my journey. Yeah. Yeah. And that's such a nice and constructive way to look at things when you can really look at your own timelines, look at your own journey and story and say, I accept that. And I also not even just accept, like I'm happy that I've come this far. So I think that's really, really special actually that you you can say that. Can can you tell everyone, the listeners, I, I already know because I'm a bit a little bit obsessed with attachment styles, but I know that lots of people listening to the podcast may not have ever heard of attachment styles before, or if so, maybe don't know the details. So could you share a little bit about them? Yeah, it's definitely getting more and more known, isn't it? Attachment styles. Like I see it on my like favorite podcast. I'm like, it's happening, it's happening. Um, so it's born like attachment styles is born from attachment theory. So it's that, I explain this different every time, but it's that idea that we all have perhaps an inner template or an inner roadmap that basically determines how we form relationships with other people. And typically that's divided into secure forms of attachment. So that's when we are more able to trust and feel secure in our relationships with others and with ourselves. I think we can forget that. It's also a lot about your relationship with yourself. So with that secure attachment, we tend to have a fairly balanced view of ourselves and of others. And another key kind of ingredient is that we might expect good things from love and relationship. We don't have these automatic 
negative expectations and we tend to be able to feel good and okay in a relationship and single as well there's just that kind of balance really secure people are not perfect they still have insecurities and can have like insecure tendencies as well i always feel like that's really important just to know but with the insecurely attached so anxious and avoidant they're typically known as people tend to have those negative views of themselves and or others and the expectations again so the expectations of love and relationship maybe more on that i don't love to use the word negative but more on that negative side so perhaps that fear of being let down or left or abandoned you know the the lens that you see love through is is clouded it's distorted and that's usually something to do with your past experiences or the way you were raised that didn't allow you to be or support you to be fully yourself and it caused difficulties and left wounds you know that shows up later in life it follows you through life i guess until we until we begin to notice these patterns and we can heal we can heal we can become more secure for sure does that answer it kind of in terms of what attachment styles are yeah and how do you know what attachment style you are so there's you i would typically say there's signs i would say this there's so many quizzes that you can do to find out which attachment style you are so if, if you're if it is something that's brand new to you you could literally just google it and, and you'll really know but if we're looking at anxious and or avoidant because you can be a mixture of both when we are avoidant attachment style you will tend to it's this very similar fear there is that negative expectation of perhaps people and others and intentions around love and being abandoned but you'll tend to keep love at like a distance and perhaps avoid it. Or if you are in relationship, there'll be something about keeping it at distance in terms of getting too close emotionally or physically. There'll be something kind of blocking off that connection. We typically see that because we'll say that people, yeah, they're emotionally unavailable. Perhaps they seem like they don't care. Perhaps they, people might describe them as cold. They very much get that villain title, which I am completely against because it comes from that same insecure place. And that anxious attachment, you'll see signs in that. It's typically what we say is like needy, quite clingy, that real kind of painful energy where it's wanting to be really really close to someone there's lots of similar similarities in terms of signs like overthinking struggling with emotions they, they just look different but typically that's what you'll see towards the both of them and is most of the population one specific attachment style actually in terms of there, there's always going to be some debate around this because obviously you know research and things but actually most people are said to be secure which shocks people a lot but it's because the the threshold to be secure it's not like that high it's not like you have to be secure all the time never feel jealous always be available it's like can you be there enough and when you're not there, can you still be there to listen and understand or express and communicate? So it's not about having to be 
secure 100% of the time. And we that's something that's really useful for people with an anxious attachment to know because we can have really, really high expectations and expect ourselves to be secure all the time and expect others to be secure. And if they're not, then they're avoidant or it's not going to last and those kind of things. So you mentioned before that you have an anxious attachment style or you had an anxious attachment style in your previous relationship. What's been your journey with that, with the discovering the attachment style and then healing from it? Honestly, it has been, it's still ongoing. You're probably not surprised to hear because we're all still learning and healing, right? I mean, when we're doing this work, but I would say, like I say, Throughout my 20s, I was on autopilot. So I can look back now and see, wow, I was chasing the people that weren't interested, like to the point of obsession and daydreaming and thinking they must be the one settling in a relationship because I was afraid of being on my own as I got older, but then being too afraid to leave it. So I can look back and see it. But really what happened is after that breakup and I began to question, why would I have stayed in a relationship that ultimately I wasn't happy in. I was staying there out of fear. So that started my questioning. Then though, I quite quickly went into the dating cycle again that I was in in my early 20s. And I could just see it again, the obsession, the chasing, the falling. And I was like, what is going on? How am I giving this time to, there was this one particular person that's so hot and cold, who's clearly treating me in a way that's disrespectful, why am I stuck on this person? So off I went on my Googling journey and then rediscovered attachment stars because I did psychology. And I can remember being in a psychology class, my A-level. So what's that like 18, maybe mm-hmm. 17, 18? And uh, I'm relating to attachment stars. I can remember the textbook. I can remember where it was, but obviously just went off in my world again and carried on. But it's interesting that I have that memory. So it's like I rediscovered attachment styles. But at the same time, again, when I was 29, went through that breakup. I also, in my NHS job, was asked to deliver a workshop on self-esteem. So that combined with what I was learning, it was all just like this magical timing where I just realized, okay, I don't know my worth. And that slowly, gradually, you know, brought me to understanding my attachment styles. And then that's where I've been on a journey of what I know already, because I guess I'm lucky for the work that I do, that those skills were there in front of me, I was teaching them. And sometimes there's no better way, right, to really learn things when you you tell other people about it. It was just a case of me having to embody it, my own therapy, my own coaches, and most importantly, practicing what I preach. I feel like I'm on this real mission to figure out how do we actually heal? Because there seems to be this gap between what we understand about attachment and how we actually embody that and put it into practice. Because I imagine anyone here who relates to anxious attachment, especially will be able to say, I know the stuff, but self-soothing feels impossible when I'm triggered. And we mean like really intense, you know, this stuff and you're still sending that message or having that argument and you can you're having this out of body experience of every part of you saying like stop you're in it but you you continue you know so really figuring out how do we actually break free of that has just been every all the tools all the strategies I don't know if we'll go into that but that's yeah sort of my journey really I definitely want to go into it and I think anxious attachment is 
where we're going to dive most into because am I right in assuming that most of the work that you do, most of the clients that you work with, this is the attachment style? I would say, so actually what we do know that is uh, people with avoidant attachment do go into treatment and therapy and have coaches as well. I work with people with avoidant attachment styles. Maybe they just get there a different way or they've already, they're on a healing journey from something else. Maybe someone has said to them enough times or it might be their wife sends them, something like that. But the thing with anxious attachment is that it's very reactive. So they're the people that are Googling, they're the people that are on YouTube. It's no, I, it's fair to say both avoidant and anxious have long-term struggles and pain. The anxious attachment is very clear in the moment. It's like physical, intense pain that we want to relieve. So that's why I think we feel like, yeah, people with that anxious attachment are the ones kind of desperately searching. Yeah. You know, if there is that dynamic with anxious avoidant, typically it's the avoidant one that, um, yeah, are not kind of desperately searching in that moment well it's in the name right that avoiding it and if you're an avoidant attachment style you're going to avoid having to talk about it having to access your emotions and yeah i think that that's i, I actually know quite a lot about this and i'm really giving you the the microphone because i'm kind of like oh i want to throw in this fact that i've learned and this yeah. fact that i've learned but obviously you're the expert so i'm going to leave you to explain everything you're doing something yeah, but something I would say as well, though, is when I'm working with anxious attachment, and this is through my own experience as well, is it's very, very quickly you peel back a layer and realize they're very avoidant as well. That's what I wanted to ask you is, yeah, what about disorganized attachment? They're kind of yeah, so I, of the two, because yeah. from what I understand is that a lot of a lot of people who are anxiously attached also have a lot of withdrawal behaviors. Yes, just with when it's disorganized it tends to be that it is very unpredictable of which which strategy comes up that avoidant or that anxious and it's going to be very dependent on who's in front of you or what the trigger is as well but in terms of those you know if you're experiencing anxiety right now it's probably to do with something as well of the situation that you're in because it's not like yes our attachment style influences our relationships but also our relationships influence our attachment style as well so it's very common that someone's like but you know i, I usually avoidant and now in this relationship i'm so anxious mm -hmm. there'll be something in that dynamic that's triggering that so and it's why i say you know as i'm talking to you anxious and or avoidant or like you know we've got the anxious preoccupied the dismissive avoidant it can get quite confusing i see it as we have an insecure attachment and we have these strategies in place to like to help us help, you know, inverted commas, because at one point we needed them. With the individual person, that's when we want to really get stuck into your own personal strategies, where it's avoidant, where it's anxious. But in general, it's just if you relate to feeling insecure, it's just so difficult, whichever strategies you're using. But when you say strategies, you mean the behaviors that you put in that that are displaying that type of attachment yeah so in those moments where you're dysregulated if you're screaming at your partner or you're sending that text or you're on the floor in a ball completely out of control or you've just ended it um, and that's not necessarily what you wanted to do either or you've suddenly got the ick and that doesn't make sense to you because there's so many things that you like about this person then you start to see those strategies of whether we're avoiding getting close to someone you know 
And what things did you used to do? Well, you mentioned it before. So the the dating with the anxious attachment. So you would very much like get obsessed over a person and, and, you know, reply and all those things like this, like uh, wait for the text and these kinds of things. What else does anxious attachment, what are the strategies that show up in dating? Yeah. And I would say as well, like you will see, it's so difficult, isn't it? Because there's so many strategies we see across like different difficulties. Um, But I would say like some form of overthinking so whether that is that you're daydreaming you're yeah like imagining or you're ruminating and going over the past there's some kind of you you find it really difficult to be in relationship with yourself when someone else is in your life so they're they're constantly on your mind and that's even when you feel quite regulated maybe you are at work and functioning which is good for you because you know that when you don't know where they are or you're activated, you wouldn't be able to function, but you're still thinking of them. Your priority is still, where are they? When am I seeing them next? They're there. And if it's not someone you're with now, it will be someone from the past, a a fantasy of someone in the future. It's like you're out of relationship with yourself, you know, and that, and these are those patterns as being present is really, really difficult. So you might hear, it kind of depends, this is more with avoidant, I'd say, but with anxious as well, they might report like meditating, for example, is impossible. Self-soothing is impossible. You see these patterns and these strategies kind of like showing up. There's a pattern in terms of like, maybe they don't get past date two, or they always get ghosted. There's something struggling, struggling to go to exclusive. You know, mm-hmm. there'll be something in your pattern. That's interesting that you just said about being ghosted because that feels like being ghosted is something that happens to you that's not in your control in any way. But do you, what's the pattern that you see of people getting ghosted? Well, I think it could be that they actually re- become very obsessed with the fact that they've been ghosted again. So it might be they get ghosted as much as anyone, but uh. there's that obsession over it happening and it always happens to me. Or it could be, you know, with, with attachment, there is something that happens before you're aware of it where you become attached to someone so if there's a slight vibe someone's giving there is yeah a bit off it like being hot and cold from the start or there's some kind of control someone might be very attracted to that you know and that happens to be the kind of person that's more likely to ghost you know someone who's unavailable and hot and cold and not there those typical signs of call them like red flags right they become very attracted and obsessed with that person I remember being really gobsmacked, I guess, when I read Attached, the book that I always recommend to people as a beginner entry into learning about attachment styles and understanding that often anxious avoidance are attracted to each other. And I think that's really crazy because it's a really difficult dynamic. It's not to say that you can't heal through it with somebody else, but can you explain a little bit more about why anxious and and avoidant attachment styles often are attracted to each other? Yeah. Well, usually they're reflecting something from each other's past. They're also quite, again, like vertical, it's like safe for each other because what you have to remember, although we've got one that's called avoidant, they are both avoidant. Someone who's secure is not chasing after someone who's hot and cold or giving them crumbs. They're just not interested. It's not what they know to be love or to feel good. So typically speaking, it's something familiar from their past that they recognize in each other and they keep each other safe from getting too close. 
because the avoidant person becomes avoidant the more attached and needier the anxious person becomes so they don't get close to them and that pushes them away so the anxious person also doesn't get close the anxious person will be saying but that doesn't make sense because i do want to get close however the truth of the matter is you're trying to get close to someone who isn't willing to or doesn't want to so there is something in that that is also avoidant the thrill of it for both of them ego boost for someone with avoidant not in a knowing i'm after an ego boost i'm a bad person way in a that's how they get their needs met that's what makes gives them that boost and the person with the anxious attachment is convinced it's love it's convinced this is chemistry this is what i need so there's this like boost for them both as well as well as and but unfortunately they just confirm each other's needs beliefs right about love and expectations which is for the anxious person people leave and I'm needy and I always push them away and for the avoidant person people are too much people want my freedom people you know are here to just cause me issues and it is possible like you said to heal and change attachment styles to become securely attached if if you identify with either of those can you talk a little bit more about that and I guess move into the part of the episode where we're going to talk more practical strategies I know this is what you do with your clients to understand if there is anybody listening who I'm sure there are a lot of people listening who resonate with this what they can actually start to do to to heal themselves you know the first thing I always feel is really important to share at this point is with healing attachment wounds it is a slow process it's not a quick fix and i i truly i would be really surprised if there is anyone that says i can heal your attachment wound this quickly i want to know what they're doing it takes time so that's the first thing just to know because there's so much judgment around still falling into those strategies still falling into those patterns there's so much self-judgment and inner criticism about just not doing this quick enough so what we know is when you want to go faster when you want to speed up you've got to slow down with attachment especially anxious attachment because there's that need there's that craving to go fast so number one is to know that it is a slow process and the more i know that it sounds a bit confusing but the slower like the more you can slow down the quicker your healing is going to be oh that's very powerful yeah and it's really true if you can and because so sort of leading us into that next i tend to work through kind of six pillars it's very loosely based because as you probably know it very much depends on the person in front of you but like i said i think i said this at some point with insecure attachment there is a it's very difficult with being present you know that in like attachment wounds mirror that of trauma Mm. and we know that people with trauma tend to live in a reactive state that fight or flight and that's even avoidant they may seem calmer they may seem like there's kind of no emotion there but that's also dysregulated so to learn to be present and like i say in relationship with yourself before anyone else that's ultimately what we have to do we have to create a secure bond with ourselves so i'm always working with people around how present you are and how present you are able to be so very the first three sessions of working with people i'm i'm perhaps doing like a guided meditation or something but i'm looking at how easy you find it to access your feelings 
the sensations in your body? Do you get really close to an emotion and overwhelmed? Can you not access it because there's that avoidance? So starting to be present with your feelings and emotions, your sensations, that's the way you start to build a bond with yourself. So anything to do with getting to know the sensations in your body. So when you wake up, what sensations do you experience? Asking yourself a few times a day. When you're angry, what sensations are you noticing? Your heart rate is increasing. When you're walking down the street, can you feel your feet literally touch the ground? It's just starting to get to know your body in the present moment. And these can sound so simple, but this is how we become more like present, you know? And so that's what we have to come into relationship with. There's ways we can do it. There's little tips and tricks. Like I talk a lot to my membership and clients about coming into relationship with nature. Just be more focused with nature. That's going to take you even a little bit away from that obsessive thought about this person. Is this all about getting more in tune with your body and less out of your head? Yeah, for sure it is. There is, we can like reframe our thoughts as well, but I believe a lot of people do that, try that. And when there's attachment, it's not enough. You need to be in the present moment because that's what you have never been taught. That self-soothing to be in the now, to come back to an emotion that you're able to tolerate, that self-soothing hasn't been modeled or it hasn't been taught or you haven't learned it. And starting to be in the present moment throughout the day is going to help you to be able to regulate your emotions, to self-soothe, um, and you're going to be more likely to be able to do it in the moment then. Because people, would, you can't just do this stuff in the moment when you're triggered. That's what I was coming to mind, and I was thinking is when that person, and I think that's an amazing practice that you've just shared to do, that each day when you wake up to take note of, of bodily sensations and to become more present. But what about in those triggered moments when... I don't know, let's throw out an example. You've gone on a date with someone that you really like and they've not texted you for 24 hours and you're just waiting for that post-first date text and you're like freaking out. Just saying potentially from experience this might have happened to me. And you can't calm yourself down. What would you advise? So I would say if you're experiencing that regularly... It's not enough to just be doing it in the moment. That's going to continue to happen. I really believe that because there's some, there's an emotion there in that moment that you're unable to handle. There's something going on because it's usually the emotional, the physical sensations that we can't actually handle, but we're off with the story, right? That they've not text or whatever that is. So we have to be able to learn to come to ourselves in that moment. So firstly, I would say, it's not the end of the world, actually, if we do reach out and we make a bit of a fool of ourselves. I have got through that many, many times. Yes, it's embarrassing. It might, at worst case scenario, push someone away. We will get through that, you know? So I get that. I know that that's a really hard lesson to learn. You've got to recognize in those moments what you're doing better than you have done before. Because like I said, it is kind of that stepping stone process. But ultimately, what I work with people around is the more intense it is, if it feels like it's the end of the world and you can't calm yourself down, the answer is not with them. This is how you know where you are in your healing. If you're still convinced the trigger, them getting that message is what's going to help and you're still figuring out how to get them back or something outside of you, then there's 
still you're, you're not present, right? You're not present with those feelings and emotions. If you're able to start to be like, okay, I'm really sensing that this feels impossible and like I'm feeling this and this is happening, but I don't have to act on it. Cry, move, scream like a baby, like go with what your body wants from you in that moment. If you can just extend it a little bit to be able to not check your phone for one minute longer, if for one minute longer you can go without calling them or texting them or whatever the the urge in your body is, then that is going to add to your skill set. Because what we're trying to do is just come back to be able to tolerate this emotion and this feeling that's going on. It is going to pass. It's absolutely what goes up has to come down. And knowing that, knowing that I can't take away the intensity. Over time, it it begins to go the more that you're able to stay in that window of tolerance. But I still have clients. I'm not one of these coaches who's like, yeah, all the messages that my clients send me are just, thanks so much, you've helped me so much. That's not what happens. They message me like, I don't know what to do. It's not working. Yeah. I think that's also because of the fallacy that once you sign up with a coach, then it's all (laughs) linear and, you know, problem solved as soon as you transfer the coaching fee not true but (laughs) it's it's something that I know that a lot of people make amazing progress and then they have a bump in the road and they're like oh my god there's a bump in the road I'm like yes there's supposed to be a bump that's a really good point it's so challenging that something I always always encourage people to do is in those moments when remember what we're trying to do we're trying to just have a moment where we come back to the present so even if there's that moment where you think i know this is it i need to not send that text that was a moment where you were just present even if you went back into it if you can find something like resourcing if you can find something in you in that really intense moment that is okay if you can find something in you that feels neutral so that might be that you just can notice that your little finger feels okay if you can find some kind of resource in you that feels okay that might give you a bit more space to not send that text for a bit longer or to do x y and z and then you're slowly going to extend that skill set to come back to being able to tolerate this feeling you mentioned something before and then I formed a question in my head and I'm going to try and say the question out loud and let's see if it works. A lot of women, I think, who probably identify more with the anxious attachment style, think that it's them always. So it doesn't matter who the partner is. They're always thinking, it doesn't matter who it will be, I'll always be like this. Do you think that's true? Or do you think you alluded to this before, like it not being the right person? Like if some, if the other side is triggering you a lot because of their behavior potential, hot and cold, or maybe not making you feel secure in some ways, is that something that is important, the other side? And what I'm thinking of is a conversation I recently have had with a friend about dating where she said to me, I just feel like it doesn't matter who the other side is, how no matter what they say, I'll always respond like this. And I think we were in a group conversation and then another person reflected and said, no, when it's the right person, your nervous system won't be so activated. And I think it's a debate to be had. And I was interested to know what you think about it. So both sides, right? Because let, if we, we've, we've spoken a lot about the unavailable partner. So people know if the person that they are 
with is not showing up there's no consistency they're giving them crumbs let's say that you know if you don't there's lots of signs that i've shared on my instagram and youtube and things like that so send me a dm and i'll link you to those different signs if we're talking about i've got an anxious attachment and my partner is primarily secure am i still going to experience this in my experience, people that come to work with me that are in a secure relationship with a secure, more secure partner, because they still have avoidance strategies, right? Maybe when they get into conflict, suddenly their partner becomes avoidant because of their own experience. The people that I work with and myself, yeah, I'm still insecure. My thoughts and my expectations around relationships, even with a secure partner, are that they're going to leave, they're going to meet someone else, X, Y, Z. So those patterns are still there. However, with time and communication my partner has allowed me that space to start to feel safe enough to share that and that I can actually ask him now can I see you tonight you know knowing that it's going to be received well and I will get a yes or a no but the no doesn't mean x y and z so it takes time to start to build that trust and the more that you see that evidence of that person being there and supporting you and not leaving you. I'm not saying that I know breakups happen, you know, the more you work on your attachment, it doesn't stop heartbreak, but it will help through heartbreak. So yes, the insecure attachment will still be there. It's still gonna be your like responsibility to kind of notice those patterns. And hopefully you have that partner that you can be a bit more open with about what the stories are that you're telling yourself. And knowing that conflict isn't going to be the end of the world and all of those other fears that we have. But I ultimately do see it that I always share with people, if your partner's secure and you're anxious, they don't think about you as much as you do them. They don't because you think about them 24 seven and it's not realistic for you to expect them to, because we'll be thinking, well, why didn't they message me at 12 when they were on their lunch break? Well, they weren't thinking of you. <laughs> they were with in a conversation. And when a secure person's in a conversation, they're present. Mm. Yeah, but whereas someone insecure, anxious, especially they're in a conversation here, but I'm thinking when they texting me, where are they? That's my priority not always their priority they can have fun with other people they are going to sometimes choose to spend time with other people because they love you and other people which is something good but obviously when you're anxious you get nervous about that because obviously they're feeling and maybe you're going to lose them and that's part of it right to start to become excited about for your partner that they are going to go and see someone that they care about and that's really lovely for them so knowing that yeah they then those kind of things and again like i said they might still have avoidance strategies just because they're secure and they're not always going to be perfect. So being consistent doesn't mean that they have to text you every single morning because one morning they might be late and they can't text you that morning or whatever, or they had no signal, whatever it might be. They can't show up for you 100% of the time because they're not perfect. Yeah. Is there any else to add before we finish in terms of practical things that somebody could do not even necessarily about anxious attachment specifically or even attachment just for somebody who feels like they're in this they're stuck in the same loop of repeating relationships or repeating dating patterns mm-hmm. where where to start apart from obviously going to check out your amazing instagram and looking at your content where to start with doing this work 
Yes. It's a difficult one because, like I said to you, it really does depend on where that person is. So what there's two, three things I always say, really. Where to start is going to be based on your triggers. So what is the trigger that's happening over and over again? I use five prompts, which is about like, well, what's the trigger? What thoughts are you having about it? What do you feel about that? What do you want to do? Like what behaviors are there? Physical symptoms as well start to break down your triggers and find the pattern that's going to tell you what you need to work on then you can get a book on that then you can like do research around that the other way you're going to know what what's for you to work on next or now is uh, i don't know if this happened for you but like whatever keeps showing up whatever message you got from this podcast today that you also got from the book that you read yesterday and that article that you read and that your friend said to you last week, there'll be this like repetitive message. That's your area to work on right now, you know, start with that. And if that combines with your trigger, that there's a reason for that. So start there. We do with attachment. It's very, very clear that you do need a secure bond with someone else to really start to see this. So if that's someone you can trust, a friend, a coach, a therapist, we know that that space to be heard is really, really important. You need to be able to have that space to go to. So I'd also start there. I know that's not what everyone's ready for. So that that's kind of where I would say in terms of knowing your next step. Yeah. Wow such good advice and I think really important the last thing that you just said about that secure attachment you don't have to feel hopeless if you can't find it romantically there are other ways to have it and even if you can't find it in your family and friends you can obviously reach out for professional help and 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 create that in another way so that's really um such an important message that's it especially with attachment because you know the main training when we're around supporting someone with attachment difficulties is quite literally how to show up to someone someone as secure and regulated that's more powerful than everyone comes looking for the tool. Well, they don't realize that what we've been trained is just being there with you and hearing you is actually the most powerful part. Amazing. Just for to end the episode, I would love you to share where the listeners can find you and learn more about what you do. Yeah. I mean, I mentioned my podcast lessons in love. So I think if you have resonated with this, there's just so many amazing guests. You're going to be coming on there eventually. Not series yet. Um, my Instagram is carly.ann underscore and my website carlyann.co.uk. And just exploring that, you'll just see like my membership, things like that, you know. Amazing. Well, thank you so, so much. I feel like it's been such an educational episode and I really love talking about attachment styles and you definitely even gave a few new things that I've never heard of before. So thank you so much for coming on. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. I hope that you enjoyed that episode. It was such a pleasure to host Carly Ann on the podcast and make sure to tune in again next week. I've got so many amazing turning 30 relevant topics coming up on the podcast and really we're just getting started. So if you have any suggestions of guests or specific topics that you would like, please feel free to reach out to me on turning 30 coach and Instagram and send me your suggestions. I'm always looking for new topics. I just wanted to jump on quickly at the end of the podcast episode to remind you that I'm currently have spots open for one-on-one coaching sessions in December or January start dates. And 
I run free initial consultation calls. So you can go to the link in my bio on Instagram or in the show notes here and you can sign up for a call. Now this is relevant for you if you're ready to start off the new year in a totally different energy. If you've been feeling stuck and stagnant, whether it's in your career or your business or in your relationships and you just know that you're ready to work on yourself and really get that support and make sure that your life is going to look very very different in the next six months then please reach out because that's exactly what I'm here for no more feeling left behind ditch the comparison feel more confident and get unstuck and create some new results really excited to meet those of you who are ready to invest in yourself And for everybody else, I will see you on the podcast next week.